Hey everyone, welcome to Punkcast. My name is William Maxwell. I'm a student of Web3 and the owner of Punk9527. CryptoPunks are 10,000 uniquely generated characters stored permanently on the Ethereum blockchain. No punk is the same. This is a show dedicated to celebrating the punks behind the punk. My hope for this podcast is that we capture the essence of the punk culture, elevate the brand and the individual behind the punk. One last thing, projects discussed on the show is not financial advice. Crypto and NFTs are a volatile and risky asset class. Please always do your own research. Other than that, let's go. Hi everyone, welcome back to another episode of Punkcast. Today we've got a regular punk. Here's Punk4287 with two Addies, horn rim glasses and a gangster do-rag. In real life, he's a collector and Web3 builder being the founder of the fun NFT profile picture project called The Regulars. Please welcome Pops to the show. Pops, how are you? I'm good. I'm good. Good morning or good evening. Good morning, good evening. Is Pops right pronunciation? I don't know if you got you got zero, so it's to throw me off a little bit. Pops is right. Pops is right. Yep. Uh, it cool. started as, uh, as my words with friends name and junk email address. And I was using that junk email address, spam email address. I started just using it for um, everything Web3 and and ended up on Pops when Twitter said it was the shortest name available. <laughs> no, it's a cool one and uh, definitely sort of sticks uh, sticks in my mind. Maybe you could just start us off just getting to know a little bit more about you, an introduction to your background and ultimately what led you into Web3 and crypto. Yeah, sure. I got very into computers and programming when I was younger, you know, like high school and early college. And I actually thought I was going to study computer science. And then at one point just totally uh, changed directions and um, transferred schools and went to went to art school where I was just focused more on media and making media and ended up in New York working in a bunch of different capacities, but always kind of around making media. So I ended up in post-production for video where it was a nice balance of technical and artistic challenges. And I did that for a long, long time, but I've always kind of kept up as best I can with what's going on with technical innovations. And um, didn't I got into crypto a little bit later than a lot of people uh, in 2017, I think is when I, it finally clicked and um, started, uh, did a, I did a small investment. I don't know what Ethereum was. It was cheap at the time, maybe like under $100, maybe even under $50, I don't remember. But right away, like that was right before the bull market. And then my account started growing and that, that sucked me in even more. Um, but I would say that although I was paying attention to a lot of different details, uh, the power of Ethereum didn't quite click till even like about two years after that. So I was kind of following it as like an investor for a while. And then once, once I kind of understood a little bit more about the EVM and how it works, I started kind of thinking about, you know, what it really means for our future, other than just digital money um, to have this autonomous computer, I thought was really exciting. And um, eventually like got into solidity and and building um on on the chain nice so, so does that mean you you can code 
in Solidity? Are you like a sort of a... Yeah, I actually, I actually found Solidity pretty approachable because of how limited it is. Where like I was, you know, I was learning JavaScript very pretty early in like the late '90s, and if you look at what JavaScript is today, it's like a huge universe. So it's a little, you know, it's a little intimidating if you aren't spending every day programming and learning the latest frameworks and stuff. But Solidity is, it's just like a a baby. So I was lucky to have a, just a fantastic advisor who kind of helped me with some like, like bigger picture things, but he actually programmed our original contract for the regulars, but um, he's a pretty busy guy. So some of the other projects that we've done just required like a lot of, uh, I don't want to call it grunt work, but just like a lot of work work, not just knowledge of implementation. And also I, I, um, I found it challenging to know who to trust with Solidity and how to manage like who's deploying your contracts and how are you sure that you own them and stuff like that. So I had an incentive to kind of get, get some hands-on, hands-on experience with Solidity. And then I just really came to like it and appreciate how it all works. And it, you know, the setup and the frameworks are pretty easy to get your head around. So yeah, I've been, I've been working with Solidity for about a year and a half or so. Uh, that's cool. But how did you transition? Because I think you said that um, you wanted to do computer science, but you ended up choosing media studies, right? Yeah, yeah, I did. And I, you know, I, I, I did that. That's, um, that's one of the reasons why I landed on, on the regulars is because I had been, I, I, I run my own company. So we have to do a lot of different, uh, a lot of different kinds of media work. And you know, we only started doing CGI like eight years ago or something like that. And then during COVID, took the, I took the opportunity to um, learn, learn a program that was like highly technical for procedural 3D work. I had been doing a little bit of procedural work in Blender, but um, there's an intimidating program uh, called Houdini, which is kind of like, if you can come up with an idea, you can do it in Houdini. It's like, it's very interesting. It kind of like exposes all of the the inner workings of a 3D program, so you can really control anything. And uh, I learned a bit of Houdini during COVID when um, we had a little bit more free time. And that around that time is when punks were popping off and apes were pop- popping off. And I thought to myself, well, there needs to be a, a good 3D project. And just came up with some ideas and that's how the regulars was born. Oh, awesome. We'll, we'll, we'll dig into the, the regulars um, in a moment, but just a little bit more interested about your background and your, your sort of technical skills, but can, can you help me understand a little bit more around what um, media and post-production is actually what, what, what it actually is and what's sort of involved? Sure. Yeah. So post-production is, is usually, you know, you, we receive hard drives after a video shoot and then with just raw footage on it and we return uh, fi- finished videos. So it's a combination of editing, animation, CGI, VFX, um, all those things. And yeah, it's just everything after a video shoot that happens on the computer. So there can be, it can be a fairly straightforward process or it can be a complex process with a lot of moving parts. And usually the more the more CGI, the more VFX, um, the kind of heavier projects get. Got it. 
And would you have like a certain type of genre that you would be working on? Would they be movies, documentaries, cartoons, animations? Like, It's short form commercial content for the most part. We have worked on some movies. We had kind of a reputation for doing futuristic user interfaces uh, and worked on some movies, some Hollywood movies. But for the most part, I've always liked short form. You get to try out new ideas real quickly and explore them and then move on to another new idea, which I love. That's super cool. Movies can be more like a year and a half of revisions on something that you, know, you, you built fairly quickly. Oh, that's super cool. And, and I'm assuming that that role in itself sounds very technical, right? In terms of, you know, being able to program and code and being comfortable with, I guess, the, the various softwares that you sort of mentioned around Blender and the like. Yeah, there's definitely parts of post-production that can benefit a lot from programming. I would think a very small number of people use, like do that kind of work, but everything from After Effects, where you can do expressions, to VFX, where you, you know, you're, you're using Nuke or Fusion, and there's, that's pretty technical. Uh, color correction is actually strangely technical, like very, very technical. And then lastly, CGI and 3D rendering, of course. Yeah, that's super cool. Is, is there anything that you've made that we would recognize in the, uh, in, the, in the public domain? It's mainly been commercial work and a couple personal projects that I just did for fun. Kind of like the regulars, not, not an NFT project or anything, but just kind of like conceptual ideas that I thought were kind of funny and interesting. Got it. And, and then what made you choose media over computer science? Like what was the deciding factor for you? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I, um, I just kind of, uh, was moved to, to make that change. I don't know. I decided that I didn't want to, at the time I said, I don't want to stare at a computer every day for the rest of my life. But in reality, like I actually did want to spend the day in front of the computer for the rest of my life. And I, I, you know, I've, I love working on the computer. I really do. It's, I find it, um, it's right for me. Yeah. That's, I think that's what I said as well, but I think the reality is everybody's behind a computer now. So uh, true. It's the, true. It's a new world. Man, that, that's super fascinating background and history, man. Like, I, I don't think I've met a punk that has a sort of a similar background to you in sort of media in the same way. And then being able to sort of teach yourself how to code solidity is, um, is super, super amazing too. So um, kudos to you. Yeah, I, I, I did take some programming courses back in the day. Um, early college. So all that stuff has kind of stuck with me. And I've been hacking away at things, you know, over the years, like small ideas. So uh, yeah, actually, for a while, I had hired a tutor online in like Ireland, he lived in like, the hills of Ireland, and he would hop on and help me help me learn some um, concepts that were unfamiliar. And uh, so yeah, I felt a need to kind of keep in touch with that part of myself. But um until solidity, I wasn't really like diving in for days on end. Got it. Super cool. And then um, come back to your crypto journey then. So you bought a little bit of Bitcoin in 2017. At what point did you start entering into NFTs? Yeah, I bought crypto in 2017. I had a very rough 2018, <laughs> uh, as a lot of people did, I think. And stuck with it, actually. I was really, I didn't. I, I lost like a large percentage of my net worth, but was, you know, mainly listening to crypto podcasts for like years. And when NFTs came around, it was 
it's pretty interesting. And I think I'm not the only one who's like this, but when I first heard, heard about them, I thought to myself, that's, that, that's dumb. I don't get that. That makes no sense. I'm, that's not for me. And it's weird because I was on OpenSea very, very early. I got really into ENDS domains. So I was on OpenSea super early and I saw these NFTs. It's just like for some reason, and like everyone can probably relate to this, like you just didn't dig in to what they are. I saw them. It looked like weird to me and um, I just didn't dig in. So I saw, I remember when I, when I would log on to OpenSea for a while, I don't think they say this anymore, but it was like member since 2019 or something like that. Um, and then eventually, oh, what happened? I just try, I just kept on hearing more about it and then bought one as a test. It's still worth nothing. It's a digital crypt, a pixel rose or something horrible. But I dug in a little bit and I kind of, it kind of all clicked that like the idea, the idea of scarcity as a digital item is like very meaningful and it's real. And like owning something that's digital is like a, a real thing too. So I, I came around to it a little bit late and, and, and funny enough, like, I was just obsessed with crypto for a long time. And when CryptoKitties came out, um, I was fully aware of CryptoKitties. You know, it shut down the network. Um, but I think the aesthetic was like a little harder for me to grasp. Like it, it just like didn't really land for where I was at the time. Um, so I didn't really look into it much. Um, and the punks, even though I was very active on forums and very active on with podcasts, Somehow the punks didn't hit my sphere. And I don't, I don't really know why. I think that's strange. Like listening to every Laura Shin pass like uh, podcast and, and like, you know, DC investors, like weekly, daily rants about crypto. Um, but punks never came into my vision, unfortunately, because I think that would have been, I think I would have been pulled in much earlier had they. When when was the sort of timing that you were pulled into NFTs that when you bought your first rose? Like what was that timing? Oh, probably pretty late. Maybe 2020, maybe early 2021. I'm not sure. Let me actually like I can check. Uh, that's 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 still that's that's like in the prime time before the bull bull market kicked off. So that's still relatively early, I think. And what what kind of um podcast were you listening to? Because I, I was the same, just nerding out on a whole bunch of Bitcoin maxis go at it. At the time, it was mainly Laura Shin with Unchained. Oh, yeah. Laura Shin's good. Yeah. 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 Oh, cool. All right. And then, and then how did you get onto CryptoPunks? Like, if it wasn't on your radar that, uh, that sort of early in your NFT journey, how did you find out about CryptoPunks? When they were heating up. It, like, when, when that, you know, I think that what, if I remember correctly, it was like the spring of. 2021 could that have been right and punks and apes were just popping off i remember seeing the punks i mean the apes for sale on OpenSea for like one to two eth and being like this is crazy <clears throat> so uh, i think i think punks were like around 20 eth at the time when they when i really dug in so pretty pretty late but larva labs and the punks project just the execution of it and the idea of it got me really, really excited about the whole thing. And I think that that was part of the inspiration for creating my own PFP collection of 10,000. Um, and also I kind of like, was like, Oh yeah, this is like, this is the grail project. Like this is the, one of the first 
like amazing projects by Larva Labs. Like if like I'd like to get into that at some point. So, so what came first, that your first CryptoPunk or uh, the regulars? Uh, the regulars. <laughs> CryptoPunk was purchased after the regulars minted out. So yeah, quite a while after. Okay. All right. So why, why, don't we, why don't we start with the regulars then, and then we can get into your CryptoPunk story. So why would you explain, one, what was the inspiration behind the regulars and what the regulars actually is? The inspiration behind the regulars, I think... I think I was reacting about a lot of the the stuff that I was seeing and I was seeing a lot of 2D art and a lot of a lot of things about, you know, well I think that there was there was like the thematic idea and then also the visual idea and those were kind of kind of separate in the beginning. I knew I wanted to create something 3D using this new kind of technique that I was playing with. And then I knew that most 3D work felt kind of like sterile to me. And I really wanted to see what was possible with creating warmth using using CGI, which I think is just like a good challenge. I also wanted to, I thought a great challenge is like, how can you use this software to make no technical compromises and make as much variety as possible? So I just wanted to push it as far as I possibly could. And then what is it? I think it's just a 10,000 NFT collection, PFP collection, where we really just lean into being regular, being normal. And um, that theme has like many layers to it. And, and we've been kind of like exposing new opportunities and new layers like every couple months since, since the images were done. So it's been fun. I do remember them popping up on my on my radar. I think uh, was Tappy SF a big holder of regulars? I think I can't remember one of the punks. Yes, yes, Tappy SF was was really into the regulars, and he spread the word, and he was yeah. definitely part of that big mint out period. Yeah, yeah, because I, I think I got onto Tappy SF because he was big into toads, and then I think he got into the regulars as well, which is kind of fun. Uh, admittedly, I didn't get into the regulars at the time where there's just so many projects going on. But um, when you're talking about 3D sort of projects, the only one that really, you know, that I get haunted by is the the, the mechas. I don't know if you remember the... Uh, yes, yep. <laughs> a lot of hype around the mechas. That was an interesting moment. And they went to like, you know, seven or eight ETH out of the gate. But but so, so when when did you actually launch the regulars? Like when was that? Yeah, so I mean, I a couple lessons I learned since then, but I started in April of 2021 and uh I thought it would take a couple of weeks and it actually took 5 months. It took 5 months. So it took us till September to finish the artwork. And when I say us, like I I hired some specialists to help with a couple things and and I got a lot of good help from a lot of good people. And I don't know if you remember, but over that summer, like every day, it was just like seven-year-old makes millions. It was like crypto <laughs> rocks worth a million. So I was like, oh, cool. Like I might be early enough to just like pull this off, having no clue what it took to market or get the word out. So I, I really I literally thought like, oh, if, if like 10-year-olds are dropping weird whales and minting out, like this this project should be unique enough to kind of do the same thing, but I was really, really wrong. And um, we finished like half, halfway through September and I think decided to postpone the mint for like a month while we built a community. 
which was tough. Um, and I didn't know anything about discord. It was, you know, it's a lot of knobs and levers in discord, a whole new kind of ecosystem that I didn't understand. And I got some great help from, uh, someone who found us on Reddit in one of my desperate posts to get the project out. He found us on Reddit and he came in and kind of like just immediately took command of the discord server and believe in the project and, and helped with like the marketing, even though we didn't, I wouldn't say we were successful with the marketing and didn't, I mean, to this day, I think marketing's a bit of a black box, but in any event, we dropped in October. We had some sales, like a couple hundred sales. And then like, Throughout the next six months, we were still getting a sale here or there. Um, a lot of like FUD, a lot of like people complaining that marketing wasn't doing enough or something. And we didn't like, we didn't know what to do. We were just looking at the other projects like, oh, this, I guess this is what we do. We do a, you know, retweet and tag five others and, and that's how it's done. And then a couple things happened at once the next spring in April, like just like a couple people got in, got word of it that we're kind of pushing it out. And I think that just snowballed. And uh, before long, I think I, I, I arrived in California and on the airplane, I texted my friend. I was like, I think this is going to happen. And like four days later, I was visiting my friend out there and, and like, didn't even talk to him for four days, was just on the computer <laughs> and it minted out finally. So that was, and, and we got we had some very good reactions during that time. Like Kobe posted it and yeah, it was, it was really, it was really exciting. Cool. What, what, what did Kobe say about it? It was hilarious. Actually, somebody posted a regular with a picture that kind of looked like Kobe and he, his response was just like, what the fuck is that? And then, <laughs> uh, <laughs> and then I don't remember what the response to that was, but then eventually he's just like, ah, oh, fuck it. And changed his PFP to that regular for a minute. And the sales were just flying. So I think that's like the top of... Did he buy one or he just changed these? I think he just received the... I think he just received the gift. The whole thing was like, hey, this looks like you. Like, do you want it? Yeah, okay. And that's he was cool. like, no, I don't want that. <laughs> it was hilarious. Because I know he's got a uh, a deep hate for um, for altcoins with pictures on it, right? Chick coins with pictures on it is, is, is uh, yep. what he likes to call them. Uh, but that's pretty yep. cool. Yeah, was it, yeah, I think you got in at a really good time. And, and going back, like, how much were you um, selling them on primary for? Oh, you know what happened is that we we mint the mint price was 0.05, and this may explain the mint out too. The mint price was 0.05, and then when things got uh, desperate in April, like six months later, someone suggested actually another one of the punks DM'd and, and said, "Hey, this this project's great, but your price might be too high. Like, what do you think about just cutting it in half?" And uh, I said, yeah, sure. Why not? Let's do it. Let's get these, let's move these things. And then we kind of like thought about that, that maybe the people who purchased them for 0.05 would be a little upset that we were cutting the price after they already invested early. So we made a whitelist for a free mint for people who've already uh, minted. And that worked out really well because, you know, I think anytime or at that time, especially if you put something out for free, like people come buzzing so i think that had a lot to do with the mint out and that's you know it's, it's our price right now is fairly fairly low but that's pretty low 0.025 for the time cool. what a cool story man and um no i really i really love the um the aesthetic of them too i mean they do look regular and it hits the spot right so uh and they look like a fun uh fun collection 
that I mean, does it, are they just art or is there some utility? Because I had a look on the website as well, and I think in the FAQ they were sort of talking about earning regular dollars or something. Yes, I don't know the the word utility really makes me laugh in crypto. But um, do the regulars have utility? Like they're we we we're building kind of like a, a world, and the first part of that world were these jobs that we made uh, called regular jobs. And if you minted a regular, uh, this may have been, may be, may have contributed to the mint out too, is like halfway through the mint, we announced that if you, if you uh, mint before Saturday, you get a free regular job, uh, which was hilarious. Cause we had, I, I had no clue, like what really was a regular job and how does it work? Um, but the next, the following couple months, I was hunkered down to figure out this next uh, layer, which is the regular jobs. And, and it's basically, we have 60 fictitious companies and those companies, within those companies, they have different amount of jobs, uh, which is an NFT in itself. And the jobs have different salaries. And you can, if you have a job, you can assign it to your regular and then your regular is working, earning a salary that you can claim whenever you want. And when you claim, you claim a ERC-20 uh, reg token. So I think that there's been like three or four million reg token uh, earned. And, you know, it's not a lot, not always a lot of claiming because it does cost gas. Um, and the utility for reg token is, is still a little bit up in the air. So people are kind of just holding on to it. But yeah, if you have a regular, you could have minted a job. If you, if you didn't mint the job, you can buy a job on secondary and, and assign it to your regular on our website. And then earn your reg token, where we will have a we'll have a store for reg token, you know, relatively soon. Uh, that's super cool. Uh, very creative as well. And I, I'm having a look at the 60 companies that you have. Uh, so you got Whopper Juniors, Krabby Shack, McDaddy's Best Shack. Uh, some really fun ones here that some uh, recognizable, iconic, similar to some of the iconic sort of brands that we see today. And just in terms of the jobs as well, it's a different levels give you different uh, rewards is that right yeah we have a couple very simple bonus structures in there so you can earn different levels and how you earn those is a little bit up in the air but also you can collect uh, multiple jobs in one company and if you do that you get a, a bit of a bonus so um there are you know people who collect only dunkin donuts jobs and people who only collect blockbuster jobs because they're getting a, a bonus for owning multiple. Got it. Now that's super cool. I'll, I'll take a closer look at that. It sounds fun, something fun to get involved with. And man, it sounds like you were, you carried the, um, you know, you're building during the bull phase, which is a super exciting time. You know, when you look, when you look back at that, I mean, was it, was there anything that you would have done differently or or you would carry on and, and, and do better on the next project? I actually think that, I think that everything that happened happened for a reason. And, and, you know, one quote mistake may have been not talking about the project that I was building for the six months that I was building it, because I think people get a little, people, I think had I teased it earlier on, it would have probably minted out. And even August, late August, I sent one to a, you know, an influencer, not just an influencer, but someone with a big following on Twitter, 
And he was like, oh, these are amazing. You mind if I share these to my friends? I'm like, ah, let's wait till I at least have a website so you know where to go. And then like three weeks later or a month later, I was like, okay, man, do you want to share these to your friends? And he's like, oh, no, sorry. I don't do that without a big payment. I need a cut of the whole project. I'm like, times were changing so quickly. But to be honest, I think that that having that time and that slow growth really helped in terms of the integrity of the project because like jobs was an idea I was tinkering with and built the contracts for like three separate times and did like three different designs of the website. And had I just built that because we were under pressure to just ship, 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 I think it would have probably broken the project. You know, these like dynamic projects are kind of building, building the airplane as it's taking off and building on blockchain can be a little scary and economies can be very like, sensitive and can break easily. So I think that even what I've created for the earning and the jobs, like that's how it works like forever. Like there's no, there's no really changing that. So the slowness at which the project unrolled has been helpful in the end. Yeah. It's, um, it's something to be said about projects launching in different ways. I sort of, I feel like it adds to the vibe of the project in the community and the narrative that sticks to the community long after it's been launched. And I guess, you know, we look at CryptoPunks, it was a free mint, a free claim, you know, there was no strings attached to it. There's no secondary royalties. All those bits and pieces add up to, you know, the purity of the project. Whereas, you know, a lot of projects that are going out higher prices, being selective with, you know, whitelist to influencers have, it sort of sets the project in the wrong direction. And there's been a lot of projects like that where there's been some dodgy stuff being happening on the primary, you know, you know, sniping all the rares and all those other bits and pieces. But I think even, you know, the way that you described it, it sounds like you've, you've, you've done it in an authentic and pure way, which is, which is, which is nice, right? Which not all projects really come with. And I think, you know, maybe over time, I think hopefully that sort of narrative rings true as well. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of there's a lot of negatives to going with slow organic growth, but there's also some positives for sure. And yeah, I like seeing projects just explode. Like when the toads exploded, like that was really exciting and fun. Um, but uh, out the gate, commanding like multiple ETH for a big collection that always confuses me. And I'm like, who is running the show here and how is this happening? Um, just because like, you know, I feel like we got a decent amount of traction and um, and maintaining floor price is hard. So when you have those high prices, I don't know. I always, I think it's a bit mysterious. A lot has to do with just like general reach probably. And, and then also influencer uh, influencers. But yeah, I think exploding out of the gate it sets you up for like a pretty challenging situation. And then when people invest like high, like people, like the regulars are, you know, pretty affordable, but people invest like tens of thousands of dollars and then lose it. Like it doesn't really help the vibe, I think for the project. Yeah. I can uh, relate into a few things I've aped into as well. Um, and, and it sounded like you launched at the time in the spring, summer of 2021, where, you know, the, the norm was getting into gas wars to mint. It was a first come first serve, you know, everybody was, you know, timing when the launch was going to be and loading up their wallets with, um, 
with ETH so they can pay for gas. Was that was that um, how you launched as well, more of a- That was a little earlier. That's when we kicked off the prod, wait, 2021. Oh my gosh, I'm getting confused. Um, I think, no, we made it out in 2022. We launched in September in the fall of 2021. Yeah, okay, yeah. 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 Because then I think, yeah, towards the back end of 2021, they started moving into, you know, grinding for whitelists. Oh, yeah. You know, and then ultimately sort of the pre-mint model came out, which was the sort of the social norm today. Which, you know, it works and it's effective, I guess. Um, but, I mean, yeah, it's uh, funny how those times have changed as well to help with the primary launch. Cool. And, and then so w- where do you want to take the regulars next? Like what's the next sort of 12 months look like for the regulars? Sure. Yeah. So we have um, we have two pretty pretty exciting initiatives right now, and one is building out all of the characters as fully rigged characters with bodies and clothes and stuff like that. And I'm very excited to have to have those assets. You know, we really designed the project for the images, and at the time, it was such a big lift. It was such a big lift in a lot of ways that. Um, you know, all I cared about what was inside the frame. Like if the if the guy's, you know, shirt was messed up beneath the frame, I like didn't care. But now if we have all 10,000 of these characters, which they just have so much variation, like even subtle, subtle differences between them, like give them like pretty big differences in personality and, and feeling. So having all 10,000 rigged characters makes me really excited. And we're trying to blow that out and make them just like Hollywood level um, and use them for a variety of things. I don't really know where we'll start with what to use them for, but uh, having them available and then connecting them to IP rights. We haven't made an official IP right policy, but we are um, planning to open up like a path to own your IP rights for the regulars. So. IP rights plus um, these bodies will be really, really exciting. And we got some great help with setting up those assets. So I think it's heading in the right direction. It's, it, it's also a very big lift. So it might be a while until those are all done, but we will probably see some, the, some of the proof of concepts drop soon. And then the other big initiative is our website, regular.world. And we're, you know, we might release we might release the updated site in like the next couple of days, but that is the universe is regular.world where we're launching a social network for all the characters. And it's something I could share with you if you want to, if you want to see, but it's basically like a place where the whole project can live. Um, so the regulars will have profile pages and the wallets will have a profile page and the companies will have a profile page. And if you work at Dunkin' Donuts, you can tag your company and tag your boss. And um, it should be great because our community makes um, incredible content. Like there's a lot of beautiful content coming out of Discord and on Twitter. And it just kind of goes through the time. It goes through the timeline and it's not cumulative. So we're hoping that this website will be a place where the characters can really develop and each profile page can grow over time. Um, And it also tracks like price of the NFTs and transfers and you can rename them. So I'm really stoked to release this. It might have a couple bugs, but it's feeling pretty good. 
No, man, it sounds sounds exciting to hear that you're, you're continuing to build out for um, the regulars in the community. I, I need to jump into the uh, Discord at some stage, but I guess one, one final question for me on, on, on the regulars, like, you know, what's your favorite trait? Uh, what traits would you um, be eyeing out if you were to uh, start from, from, from scratch? I'm, I like the regular regulars. I just like the ones, like the, the floor regulars usually. I've been collecting guys with the Woody haircut based on Woody Harrelson. Uh, something about that that's been pulling me in. And then also we have a trait called heavy makeup, which is just like hand-painted makeup on these faces. And I think that those are uh, pretty great. All right, cool. I'll keep an eye out for those ones. And um, and and just so you've got the regulars and you've actually got ones with names that I've sort of noticed as well, which is, um, and I'm assuming the ones with names uh, are more uh, rare? Well, actually, no. Um, if you own a regular, you can name him whatever, him or her, whatever you want. Everything, so after the jobs came out, I put all of our metadata and the renaming uh, on chain. So you can rename these and, and they're all, all the metadata updates dynamically. And also we got, you know, I think that, I think had I saved the metadata to EVM in the fall of 2020, 21 it would have cost like you know fifty thousand dollars but there was a moment in the summertime that really felt bearish where gas was like three overnight like gas would be like three or four it was insane so i so i worked with um very helpful dev from the crocodiles and he helped making make our our metadata and trait data as efficient as possible and then save that to the chain, which is opens up a lot of possibilities moving forward. Awesome. So does that mean I can, I can change my regular to, uh, to update for my name as well, if I wanted to. Oh yeah, definitely. All right. Yeah. It's fun. I need to, uh, take a look at that one. Mate. Um, yeah. So, all right, then let's get back onto the punk story. So what point did you buy your punk? Right after the mint out, right after the right after the regulars minted, I was feeling uh, happy about that, and had I I have known that I wanted a punk and uh, went for it, and it was kind of a lucky time. Well, it was for a while until the recent dip, but it was right before the announcement of Christie's or Noah. Um, so it was right before a, a bit of a pump. So I felt good about that, even though I didn't. You know, I got in fairly late. So, so when was that? In that was, that was like probably early summer twenty two. Okay, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, and I think that's sort of mid year, just around NFT NYC, and Noah got appointed as the brand ambassador as well. Okay, exactly. that's, that's super cool. Yeah. And then, so how did you, you know, go about selecting out? four two eight seven like how were you thinking about attributes and which ones you sort of wanted i mean i gotta say i just go on like a vibe really and this one stuck out to me as clean i think i like i like clean traits right now even though i've come to have a bit of a interest in the unclean traits lately but it was it was between this and a stringy hair actually and uh, <laughs> it's funny, I hit up someone, uh, yeah, a very uh, controversial character in, in the Punks Discord. I hit him up 
not knowing anybody, you know, and he, and I hit him up on Twitter and he's like, Oh, you need to talk to uh, this other person. And I'm like, what do you think about these two? He's like, don't buy stringy hair. So I, I didn't buy the stringy hair. I got this guy who I, who I like a lot, but, but I do think that stringy hairs are undervalued and I am still usually looking at those. I think so too. I, I, the stringy hairs get a lot of shit, right? Um, the stringy hairs and the the front beard. <laughs> um, yeah. But uh, I, I actually don't mind the stringy hair, to be honest. But they're kind of cool. But now you, the do rag, the do rag, and the horn rim glasses uh, is pretty clean. It's sort of semi gangster, but uh, still clean. Yeah, he's clean. He's clean. I don't know. He, I can't really put it into words, but he says he says everything I want to say. <laughs> Mate, and, and if, if money wasn't an issue, what would be your dream punk, do you think? That's a good question. Um, I think, actually, I found one that's like VR clown hair. Oh, that'd be cool. And I, and I thought that that one would be really cool to own. That one's like um, um, Token Angels. Token Angels is Scott. Uh, yes, yeah. yeah. He's got yep. a really cool one. Yeah, that's cool. And... If you were to describe punk culture in a few words, like how would you describe that? That, that is a good question as well. Um, I think it's awesome just to be able to go talk to people who understand this world and kind of have their finger on the pulse of a lot of the innovations in the world and are participating in the innovations in the world. That's what makes me s- pretty stoked to have access to you know, the community. And then, yeah, I don't know. There's something that ties everyone together investing in this asset that I think we all believe, you know, stands for something being one of the earliest projects to explore like digital scarcity. Like that's just, I think that we will have scarce digital items from here on. And this was the first one by the innovators in the space. And also the images are really, really great. And the execution was amazing. So I don't know. I think that there's just something about like everyone kind of believes in in the project or I believe so either as, you know, as a creative idea or an investment. Um, but I also know that the community's pretty political, but I don't, I don't really know the nuances of that. I don't really tune into that part. Do you think like political in, in what sense? I think a lot of people feel like there's a need to evolve in some ways and not evolve in other ways and work together um, to move forward in the right direction. And, you know, I think people have, there's a lot of opinions and, you know, not much, not much I can really say about it other than that. It there's beneath the surface. It's not just a collection of images. It's people kind of participating in this community and pushing the community forward. So, um, yeah, I think that there's, you know, a lot of, we had some, we had some interesting turns this year with some, with the Bitcoin punks, you know, that was a, that was a pretty, pretty interesting moment. And I think that, yeah, there's a lot of ways this can go and we're going to get a lot of opinions as we, as time passes. Yeah, I think, I think you're right. I mean, um, I, I asked you because I, I, I feel the same way, you know, I don't know if it's political, but there's sort of fractions or within the punk community that you know, hang out in different places. And I, I don't know what's really caused it. You know, I think, and, and the other side, the complexity too, is V1 punks. You know, they've got a separate community and, you know, in there you've got V1 and V2 punks that are there. You've got the punk discord, you've got punk telegram, you've got 
you know, punk down now as well. So we're hanging out in different sort of places. Everyone's very independent, some with very strong views. And some, some in there that probably aren't, um, you know, uh, you know, perhaps probably a little bit more grifting and extractive. But I think on the whole, everyone's building and trying to do the right thing and has a lot of integrity. But I think we're still evolving to find our community voice. And we've been through a lot of shit too, right? I mean, V1 punks and Uger acquisition and a whole series of things that have sort of come and gone. B- BTC punks was one of those things as well. So uh, I think. You know, with the way that you've described it, probably resonates with me in a well, in a way, or some way. But, um, but I think we're sort of finding our way through that. For sure, for sure. Yeah. Uh, how how do you feel about V one punks? They're not really for me, but I understand why people care about them. You know, they're part of the history. Uh, but I think for me personally, like I prefer the items that were, you know, the finished pieces from Larva Labs. I don't want to take heat about it, but yeah, I think I, I, I know that there's some nuances about what was said when about the V1s and one day maybe I'll feel different. But for now, I think mainly just a punk guy. Gotcha. And we spoke a little bit about BTC punks. How do you feel about BTC punks? <laughs> I'm not mad at the BTC punks. I think like this, the crypto world's full of these moments where there's things being explored like very quickly and nobody knows what the hell they mean. And I think that's kind of what happened with, with those is like, it was a exploration and there may have been a little bit of like sketchiness there, but uh, I think, I think that, you know, there was an exploration and then it was a big financial success. So um, they just rolled with it. But you know, it's just a copy. It's just a copy of punks put on Bitcoin. I don't know. It'll be interesting to see what happens with ordinals. Yeah, for sure. I, I mean, I just can't get myself to um, get uh, too deep into sort of ordinals. I think it's like, I mean, I'm, I'm struggling managing my own NFT portfolio and ETH, let alone another chain. I know. I feel the same way. It's a beast too. And I keep hearing different things where I'm like, oh man, do I need to like look into this? Like EVM on Bitcoin? Like that sounds interesting to me. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I haven't dug in myself, but I see it on the horizon as something that I will dig into. Insane. Um, and I know you, you, you bought in after the Uger acquisition, but do you feel a certain way about, you know, CryptoPunks being owned by Yuga? I don't really know Yuga that well. I, I haven't owned a Yuga project. I think it's a bit strange, the trajectory of the punk ownership from Larva Labs to Yuga seems a little odd. Um, But, you know, I trust that they're not going to do anything to really, like, change the project. And I think that that's something I've heard. And that's something that I believe is like, you can't really change this too much. But there are also some, some problems with the marketplace that could use a change. So I'm optimistic that Yuga is going to, you know, push things forward in a way that is true to the original project, but also helps the community's like current needs. Mm. When you said odd, like odd in what way? <laughs> I just don't know why, why did the IP have to change hands in the first place? I know there was a lot of money exchanged and, you know, I'm happy Larva Labs could see the fruits of their project. And for Yuga, like I, 
guess they just want publicity mainly, mainly, or they want ownership of this. I don't, I don't know what they want. Like, it's strange to me. Um, how much did they pay? How much are they going to get out from their investment? And if they're not making a profit, then they're getting something more abstract, which kind of makes sense for what they're doing. Um, but yeah, I don't know. It seems like a, something that is not necessarily like a positive is to like change the story in such a drastic way. Mm, gotcha. And and when you mentioned things that could they could do better on the marketplace and and things like that, like what what would you like? You know, if you were listening, like what would you like for for Punk? Oh, uh, yeah. I mean, I don't have I don't I don't have I like the marketplace, but I think the front running is like an issue that screws up the whole ecosystem. Um, and I I wish that there was a little bit more, you know, support there to make it an even playing field. And that's the only thing that comes comes to mind. But it does seem like that seems like something's kind of broken is if some people are front running the marketplace. Got it. And, um, and, and would you have a view on what punks look like in the next five to 10 years? Or what would you what would you like to see happen with punks? I don't think I want to I, I wouldn't want to see much change, to be honest. Fix the front run project problem problem. <laughs> and then <laughs> Yeah, that's kind of it. I think that's what most punks say as well. I think punks are off better left alone uh, in general. Um, and I don't know if I asked you this as well. Like, you know what what was it about crypto punks that made you want to buy? I mean, you you besides you know having a successful mint out of the regulars and, and celebrating, but like of all of all the projects you could have bought, what what was it about crypto punks that um, you were compelled to buy? There are very few projects that I actually really want to buy, but the CryptoPunks just seems like you're owning a part of history, like a really, really significant part of history that will only become like more interesting and more significant. And, you know, we're going to have rare digital assets for the next hundreds of years. Um, it's, it's great to be in touch with like the first, you know, the first phase of that. Yeah. Sure. Awesome. And I just love the, I just love the, like, the, I think the execution of the punks is, is close, is just like perfect. I think it's just so, the visuals are great and the personalities are great. I just really appreciate it on that level too. Yeah, totally. It's like, even if you were to, you know, craft a project like this today, I mean, it's, you know, years ahead of its time, right? In some ways. And it's just hard to believe that this was done in 2017. And it's totally so, amazing. Yeah. Uh, and if you could pass on the message to the next owner of your punk, 4287, <laughs> what would you like to say to, the, say to him? <laughs> what would I say to the next punk owner? I would just say, you know, I hope that um, you keep pushing this guy's reputation forward and take care of him and, and hodl. <laughs> <laughs> that's, a, that's a very nice message uh, and sage advice. Pop, uh, this was a super fun interview and conversation really love getting to know you and and what you're building with the regulars sounds like you've got some really exciting things lined up uh, so thank you for your time and i guess just handing over to you for you know any last final comments and uh, how can people find you yeah thank you this has been fun um i'm on twitter as pops p zero pps and um there's a link to the regulars and to our discord uh there but twitter's the best place to find me 
Awesome. I'll, uh, I'll put them in the show notes anyway. But um, guys, this uh, wraps up another episode of Punkcast for the week. Thank you for your time and listening and stay tuned for next week as we all find some more punks to interview. Bye for now. <laughs>